بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد once in a while we have this kind of program where we read out of the kitabs and the books of our kabir what lessons are contained directly in their words and what noor comes along with that that is not possible to convey in any other way but to convey their words itself the discussion is about islah we have heard about the word islah many many times and mashallah many are very concerned about trying to achieve islah so islah is all about rectification of one's inner self islahun nafs the heart becoming connected to allah taala and this is achieved when all the base qualities all the evil qualities all the evil qualities are cleansed and a person acquires all the noble qualities this is the meaning of islah when that becomes a condition that the person's heart has been cleansed of the evil and base qualities when he has acquired the noble qualities then the heart is king when this has happened to the heart then the heart impacts on the whole body then the islah of the heart will result in the islah of the eyes the islah of the heart will result in the islah of the ears likewise the islah of the tongue the tongue will not then utter things that are not in order the eyes will not look at things that are not in order and likewise the rest of the body will be in accordance to what allah taala is pleased with allah taala's commands so this is what is islah all about and this is an ongoing effort there is no point in time that a person can think about himself as being accomplished that he has now achieved islah in totality and therefore he can now be complacent he can relax he can drop his guard till the last moment hatta ya'tiyaka al-yaqeen person has to continue striving making an effort trying to rectify himself and inshallah with the fazl of allah taala this islah will be achieved what we have in front of us here is the kitab of awazat of sheikh hazrat mohammad shah hakim ud akhtar sahab rahmatullah alai and these are advices that he had written down of hazrat mohammad shah abdul haq sahab rahmatullah alai so this is titled as dasturul amal barai islah wa tazkiya nafs this is the dastur the direct the guideline and this is the manner in which a person will be able to get that islah and the tazkiya of his nafs so it starts off by saying tamam razail ki jar sirf do hai jah aur ba the discussion commences with the discussion of the razail razail refers to the base qualities so why does the discussion start off with the base qualities why not the noble qualities so even in the very foundation of iman the kalima is first the negation la ilaha when all the 
false deities and everything that is ghayrullah is negated, then in reality, illallah will be achieved. Without the negation of whatever is false, whatever is an obstacle in getting to Allah Ta'ala, without first negating that, person can't reach Allah Ta'ala. So this is a very important and a very fundamental point. Many a times we are not prepared to negate things in our life that are obstacles. In other words, we are not prepared to give up sin, but yes, we want to do a lot of good things, and Alhamdulillah, that's a great thing. But without negation, the positive actions also won't bring the end result that we are desiring. Because a person will still be back to zero due to the sins. So mashallah, he'll do a lot of good things, but that will get the effect of that and the benefit of it. One is the obligation will get fulfilled, alhamdulillah. Person performed his first salah, mashallah, he's completed the first, that's a tremendously great thing. Otherwise that would itself have been a major disaster in itself that he missed his first salah. Person performed his first salah, he kept fast in the month of Ramadan, he discharged his zakat, hajj was compulsory, he fulfilled that. So alhamdulillah, summa alhamdulillah. This is a very great thing. But one is the fulfillment of the obligation. So that will be complete, alhamdulillah. But the other part of it is the effect this has on the heart in terms of connecting the heart to Allah Ta'ala, becoming closer to Allah Ta'ala. So mashallah, the obligation got fulfilled, it brought about a certain nur in the heart. It brought about a certain level of connection with Allah Ta'ala in the heart. But then a person walked out and then he started looking around, casting lustful glances around, started looking at things he shouldn't be looking at on his phone, started getting involved in listening to evil, he's backbiting, talking things that are obscene, going to places where the environment is going to now negatively impact on his heart. So the obligation of that salam, mashallah, got fulfilled, but at the same time there was some thing that was filled in the heart. But by these sins, all that got drained out. So in terms of the impact of the heart, he's back to zero, and Allah forbid sometimes, he's worse off because of the extent of the sin. So it's like a person filling in some, he took in some nourishing food, so he ate nourishing food to the extent of a certain amount, which nourished him, like on a scale of 1 to 10, it nourished him 5 out of 10. But then he ate some substances which now, let alone cancelled all that benefit, it took his health 10 degrees behind. He got sick now. One was that he wasn't very well, he was, he was not very healthy, but he was not sick either. Now, mashallah, he performed his salah, that spiritual health increased. But then with the sin, one is that health got cancelled, that nourishment, the benefit of it got cancelled, and he went into negative territory. Now he is sick also. So this is the issue that one is, mashallah, fulfilling whatever Allah Ta'ala has commanded, and then over and above that, doing as much as possible that we can in terms of righteous deeds. But the very fundamental thing is this negation. Negation is from the heart, and likewise in amal, in action. Negating all the evils, 
So therefore this discussion starts off on the issue, and this is the standard discussion in terms of Islam and Tazkiyah, that it is first the negation of the evils. So that starts off by saying, Tamam Razail ki jar sirf do hai. The root of all these base qualities, the root of all these vices and evils that emanate from insan, the root is just two things. Two things that are the root. What are these two things? Ja or Ba. This is the root of every vice. A person sometimes says that I got countless vices. A person says that my sins are so many and my vices are so many. If I start writing now and I can't finish it off. But the reality is that all these vices and sins stem from just two things. So a person has treated these two root elements of vice and sin. Then obviously he's treated the roots, everything else gets sorted out. So these two are ja, which refers to the ego. And ba refers to lust. Every sin, the root of it is one of these two things. Some relate to ja, to the ego, and some relate to ba, to lust. There is no third thing. So a person has treated these two, then he's treated everything. So like the many, many sins and vices, evils, very serious maladies of the heart, let's say takabbur, pride, hasad, jealousy, likewise kina, malice, bughz, ghadab, anger, وغیرہ ان کی تہ اور جرم جاہ کا چور چھپا ہوا ہے all these kind of vices and sins pride, jealousy, malice anger at the root of it is the ego at the root of all these things is the ego a person is proud because of that ego he feels jealous over the something other people have been blessed with the root of it is his ego I must be better off why is somebody else better off? In whichever aspect it might be. So the root of it is again the ego. If it is pertaining to anger, that anger stems out of this jah, this ego. Sometimes it is described as stemming out of pride, but pride stems out of the ego. So it is this jah at the end of the day. And then the other part is quite clear person indulges himself in all these sins of lust, casting haram glances, looking at evil and filth, getting involved in illicit relationships, and all these things are related to person engaging his heart in all kinds of evil thoughts. All this stems from the evil of this haram lust. So it is one of these two things that is the root of any of the vices. So this is what the effort is then, that a person has to bring this jah and bah under control. Neither of these things are eradicated, but they are controlled, so that it doesn't ever lead a person towards haram. He cleanses his heart out of these maladies that stem out of it by controlling these two root issues. 
Now the question is, and before getting to that question, on this note of these two root issues, one is the ego, and the other is the haram lust. So now the issue is, which of the two is the more dangerous one? Generally, the mind goes in the direction that the lust is far more dangerous. And indeed, it's extremely dangerous. A person doesn't have this under control, then it leads him to such sins which destroy his dunya and akhirat. It's indeed extremely dangerous. But as dangerous as the evil of this lust is, ja, this ba, even more dangerous than that and more disastrous is the evil of the ego. A person getting involved in the sins of lust, at that moment he, because he hasn't learned or made taskiyah and islah and brought this under control, so he just falls headlong into things. But after having fallen into something, after having committed some wrong, by and large, person at some point in time starts feeling the remorse and regret. He himself feels something that I, what I did was wrong. That realization comes sometimes very soon. Sometimes if he has built up a certain level of consciousness, even in that very sin itself, that realization comes that I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. And Tawfiq of Allah Ta'ala, he then stops right there. And if not immediately, soon that realization comes that this was wrong. He feels bad about it within himself. This is generally the case in terms of the sins of lust. But the person now hasn't made that effort to cleanse his heart, to strengthen his heart, to connect himself to Allah Ta'ala. So that moment he felt some remorse, regret. And then short while later he forgot about it and then again fell into the same thing. But the point is that at some stage that regret comes. And the danger regarding the aspect of the sins of the ego is that a person sometimes gets deeper and deeper into it and let alone feeling any remorse, he finds ways of trying to justify it. His anger is out of control. He's venting it on anyone and everyone. That anger is making him use vulgarities also. And then he still has that within himself that no, no, this is justified. What I'm doing is necessary. He has ways and means of trying to explain himself. That what I did, this was necessary. So he appeases his own conscience also that what I did was not wrong. And when somebody tries to explain, then he even says, no, he deserved it. In other words, I was right in what I did. If he deserved it, I did something that was necessary. So this is generally the case in terms of the sins of ba, uh, of this ja, ego. As a result, person very seldom, unless he has taken some advice somewhere and connected himself somewhere or un- heard some advice in this regard, whatever it might be, something that spurred on that consciousness. Otherwise, generally, person doesn't even think of making toba from these things. Doesn't even think of trying to rectify it. Because he's justifying it, where he's going to try to rectify it. He's finding excuses for himself, 
And if somebody advises him to, he says, no, that person deserved it. Or if it is that pride that is now welling up in him, so he has some other name for it. No, no, this is not pride. This is, I'm just keeping things under control. I have to behave in this manner to just keep everybody in line. Otherwise, they all will do their own things. So, mashallah, he's got a reason for everything. So, when this is the way that he reacts to this, that he has an explanation for it, he has some substantiation for it, he has some kind of excuse for it, or whatever it is, so where he's going to make toba from it? Where he's going to even start off trying to rectify it? He's already fine. He doesn't believe he has illness. He doesn't believe he has any, any problem. So the person only goes to treat something when he believes he has illness. Who goes to the doctor to tell him he's well? Makes an appointment, doctor wants to know what happened. He said, no, I came to tell you I'm very well. So what you came for? Person doesn't go to see the doctor when he's well. He goes to see the doctor when there's a problem. He says he's come for some treatment. So if a person believes he's well, he believes he's fine, so he's going to go anywhere for treatment. He's going to even present that, that I need treatment for it. Now this is the issue generally with these sins of the ego, that sins that stem from the ego. That a person generally doesn't even regard it as sin. Or if he regards the sin as sin that's in his place, doesn't regard himself as being involved in that sin. That this applies to me. That I'm affected with this. I need to treat this. Doesn't cross the mind also. Unless something has stirred up because of being in some environment, some discussions of deen, some discussion of Islam and Tazkiyah, somewhere down the line now, then this hits home. No, no, this is also applicable to me. It's applicable to me as well. I'm also involved in this. I also have these things lurking in my heart. So I need to do something. Otherwise, it just carries on. So these are the two root issues. And all the other things stem out of this. And the more dangerous of the two is the issue of the jah, the ego. Far more dangerous. If you look into the hadith as well, the way this has been expressed. In one hadith, Nabi Wasallam. Abu Zar radiallahu is mounted on the same conveyance with him. Nabi Islam is saying, Man qala la ilaha illallah mukhlisan dakhala al-jannah. Man qala la ilaha illallah dakhala al-jannah. Person who says la ilaha illallah. Obviously what he's referring to, that he says la ilaha illallah, he's brought iman, he has this iman, and he leaves with this iman, and he will enter jannah sooner or later. If he went as a person on taqwa, and if he slipped up on tawbah, then inshallah he'll go directly to jannat. Allah forbid he didn't gain his forgiveness, he might have to go through the cleansing process. Which is no, nobody can dream of tolerating that for one second also. Allah ta'ala protect us from the azab of qabr, and the azab of the day of qiyamah, and from the fire of jahannam. But a person left this world with Iman, Allah forbid if he had to go through that process too, he will certainly finish off in Jannat. So that is what he is referring to. Abu Zar at that moment didn't fully grasp this part. That what is being said is, that sooner or later, he will reach Jannat. He thought it to mean, that come what may, he will go directly to Jannat. 
That's what crossed his mind. So this was something that wasn't yet something that he could comprehend. How can this be? So he asked, in zana, in saraka? What? If this person even committed zina, he committed theft, he'll go to Jannat? Maybe he saw somebody bad. Yes, in zana, in saraka? Meaning, yes, sooner or later he'll go. But now he was thinking immediately, Nabi Islam is referring to it, sooner or later he will go. He left on Iman, that is the ticket to Jannat. And that is why everything has to be done to guard this Iman. This is the most important thing in our lives, that we have to live every moment guarding this Iman. Not something we can be casual about. Read anything, listen to anything, go anywhere. Allah forbid something gets stuck in the heart of some fancy talk which was batil. And that can just topple a person's iman. Because there's a lot of fancy talk out there. And people present things in a very, very captivating way. Batil over the ages, over the centuries, was presented in a captivating way. By people who had the gift of the gab. And a person who doesn't know what's what, cannot discern what is haq from batil, especially in more finer details, gets carried away with a fancy talk. And before he knows it, he's gone. That is why it's so important that before reading the book, read the author. Meaning, make sure the author is authentic. So any case, in this Hadith Sharif, this is the tone. وَإِن زَنَا وَإِن سَرَقَ And when it comes to the sins of the ego, لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ مَنْ كَانَ فِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالُ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَرْدَلٍ مِّنْ كِبْرٍ That person will not enter Jannat who has pride to the extent of a mustard seed. The sum total of both ahadith is the same. That person will not enter Jannah meaning that even if he went with Iman he won't go till he cleanses this out till it is cleansed up. He'll go to Jannat eventually. He left with Iman, that's a ticket to Jannat. But because of the pride, he can't go directly. He's going to have to go through that cleansing process. So both ahadis are giving the same message. That eventually he'll go to Jannat. But he'll go through the cleansing process. But the tone is a world of difference. In terms of that side of it, the tone is great hope. And this side is a very severe situation. That is why so much of effort has to be made on rectifying both and most, even more the aspects of the jar. Those things that stem from the ego, the ego itself. Because this, this is what, this ego is what made shaitan, shaitan. And this ego is what made fir'aun, fir'aun. Shaitan, ana khayrum min, ana. I am better than him. And Fir'aun, he too said, Ana rabbukumul ala. He said, I am your greatest rabb. That I, that ego, I must be distinguished, I must be something, I must be given that consideration, I must be asked, how could I be overlooked? I must be given that acknowledgement, and I must have some position in some, some situation, some way, there must be some position I cannot be a nobody. I must be also in the limelight somewhere. 
If everybody is talking about where they went and what they did, how can I keep quiet and do nothing? I could also say I flew around as well. Even if I had no wings, I got to make it somehow fly myself. Now all this stems from that ego. And this ego is what made shaitan shaitan. Made Iblis into this accursed till eternity. And this is what made Fir'aun Fir'aun. So we have to make an effort on both to try and rectify and correct both these things, the aspect of the ego and the aspect of the lust. Now the issue is how does this get treated? What is going to be the way in treating this? So there's a very detailed discussion on the treatment. So let alone the effort and time that the treatment itself requires, even the discussion of the treatment requires time. Because this refers to something so major and serious. A person wants to learn something. So what he wants to learn? He wants to learn the treatment of the physical self. So now he wants to learn how to treat himself physically. So now he goes for some causes. One is a person now of becoming a doctor. Now he needs to go six years and then some further training and housemanship and Allah knows best what not. But even a person just wants to do a first aid course, that will take a couple of months too. So just for some minor treatment, that first aid will only help him to treat some minor things, some scratches and scrapes here and there. Some little bit of a minor congestion and some other cuts and bruises. But even that treating that cuts and bruises too, that first aid course, will require a couple of weeks. Here we want to try and understand how to treat the soul. Treating some cuts and bruises also requires a intensive training, some calls, couple of weeks, some sessions, and some practical demonstrations, and what not goes into it. And then obviously a lot of cost is also involved. Here we're talking about treatment of the soul, but the commitment to give time and effort for the treatment of the soul, the general thing is very busy, no time. To learn how to treat the body, to even get the treatment for the body. There's always time. Because if the body is not treated, then we can't function correctly. But then how we expect to function for the akhirat? To function to get closer to Allah Ta'ala. To function to make our qabr a garden of Jannah. To function to gain the shade of the arsh of Allah Ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah. And to function to try and gain that closeness to Rasulullah on the day of Qiyamah and gain that direct entry to Jannah without effort, without giving it the due time, without giving it what's required of it, how that's going to happen? And how close is that? That this preparation that we should be making for that Akhirat, how close is that Akhirat? None of us has any guarantee we'll walk out of this masjid alive. That's how close it is. Nobody's got the guarantee. Nobody got the guarantee they'll see tomorrow. And how often this, this is a daily reminder. Daily reminder that a person is here and he's gone. And especially in the current times, it's become such a stark reminder. So therefore, this requires time as well. It requires giving time to learn the treatment. And it requires even more time to apply the treatment. So in any case here, there will be just some little pointers that we can deal with. 
for now. But inshallah, if we start off with these few things as well, this too will take us a long way. Allah Ta'ala's grace is limitless. We need to take those steps towards Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala's rahmat will come rushing towards us. But this is the need that we got to start taking those steps. We have to start becoming conscious of what needs to be treated, what needs to be done, and start taking those steps. Inshallah, those few steps will become the means of more steps, and that will become a means of greater strides, and with the grace of Allah Ta'ala, a person will reach the destination. So in terms of the way forward, as discussed that the root of all the vices are two things only. Two things are one is the ego, the other is the lust. The treatment also, it is based on two aspects only. Entire treatment of all these vices and of acquiring everything that should be acquired in terms of all the noble qualities. This too is on just two foundations, built on two foundations. Everything else has to be built on it, but these are the two foundations. A person wants to build that multi-story building, and now it's getting taller and taller. People are competing, these are all the signs of Qiyamat. fil bunyan. Nabi Sallallahu in the famous hadith of Jibreel Ali Salatu Wasalam, Jibreel Salatu Wasalam came in human form and he asked Nabi Sallallahu many questions and Nabi Sallallahu gave the answers and one of the questions he asked is, when is Qiyamat? When will be Qiyamat? So Rasulullah Sallallahu replied and said, Mal mas'ulu anha bi'a'lama min as-sail. Neither the one asking nor the one being asked knows the answer to this. The one asking also doesn't know the answer to it. And the one being asked also doesn't know the answer to it. Only Allah Ta'ala knows the answer to it. Inna Allah indahu ilmu Allah alone knows when Qiyamah will come. So nobody else knows when Qiyamah will come. But then he asked, well, then what are the signs of Qiyamah? So Rasulullah Sallallahu mentioned several signs of Qiyamah. an amaratiha. One of the things Nabi Islam mentioned, Antalid al Amatu Rabbataha. Literally translated is that a slave woman will give birth to her master. Now, in practicality, is that is impossible. Even in the time when slavery was still around, that was not possible that a slave woman gives birth to her master. If the master of that slave woman was a free person, the child would be free. And upon the death of the master, that woman will also be free. So there's no way that that child will be her master. And if she was married to another slave, or that child will be a slave as well. So the point is that that cannot happen in the real world, that even in the time when slavery was there, that could not happen. So then what's the meaning of this? The slave woman will give birth to her master. So the Muhaddisin explained that this actually is something which is more on a figurative level. It refers to inqilabul umur. Everything getting turned upside down. Things getting turned upside down, for example, the roles will get reversed. Parents will be ruled by the children. So now whereas the parent is a parent, child is a child, 
He has to take the instruction of the parent. But the children will command and the parents will have to just go along. Because if they don't, then there will be turmoil. So now just to keep the peace, they will just have to go along. These signs are not mentioned in a way that this is acceptable. It is mentioned in a way that, look, this will happen, but save yourself from becoming part of it. In the context of a parent, make that effort that this doesn't become the situation. And the context of a child, no matter how old he might be, that you don't become the sign of Qiyamah. That you rule your parents. Obviously in something that is impermissible, it's not correct to obey that. You cannot obey it. But, apart from that, you will remain subservient to your parents, be kind to them. Then if there's something unreasonable, you'll have to be worked around. But, the parents' maqam and position will be maintained. You cannot do or say anything that will compromise that. So now one of the things mentioned was this. Things will turn upside down. And then on this also, the role between the spouses will change. The husband is the husband, he's the head of the house. But nowadays, they say, no, there's no more head of the house. So have you heard any place without a head? In some things it's very a headless person is no person and any institution without a head there will be chaos no small little institution also can run without a head but this whole foundation of every institution which is the home it's all the combination of homes that make up the society that home without a head but then that's just for the sake of saying it that there's no head in the home Often when people say there's no head in the home, it means the wife is the head. But now that was, that is reversing the whole role which shariat has, which deen has given. This is something we should not have any hesitation in stating very clearly that the Quran Sharif said this. And that's our iman. We shouldn't become uh, affected by the propaganda and by what the West thinks and how they see they blinked vision, how we can go by that? I often give, give this example that their etiquette is this, that if two couples meet, so now this husband and wife came along and they're meeting the other couple, so if this person's, this husband doesn't meet that person's wife by hugging her, then it's not part of etiquette, he's rude. Now these are the people who want to follow? That this, person, this husband is meeting that person's wife in the presence of both spouses, and that's the etiquette? If that is the etiquette, then Allah forbid what's after that. So th- these are the people's concepts that we're going to get affected by. Is their standard of what are rights, is that the standard we're going to go by? If this is the level of their etiquette, what is their standards then? What values they're going to give us? And what they're going to teach us about what is values and human rights? And women's rights and whose rights? Allah is our creator and sustainer. So Allah has clearly stated in the Quran Sharif, Rijanu Qawwamun Alan Nisa. Men are the rulers over women. 
It's translated sometimes as guardians and some other synonyms also used, but the simple translation of it is Awam is a ruler. But yes, the ruler is not what the world has understood what rulers are, which is the rulers that the West has created and which others have followed also. The tyrants. No, no. This is that ruler which has the kind of rule that this is to be desired and die for. That compassion, that kindness with which Rasulullah ruled. Which the Sahaba Ikram ruled. Which Nabi Salaam taught. That the most beautiful manner of ruling a home. That ruling got nothing to do with commanding and demanding. That ruling is how to guide everyone along. But yes, there's somebody as the head. Somebody makes the final call. Because if there's no head, then there's chaos. But that head doesn't mean that the person now, he becomes a tyrant. And he starts committing oppression and zulm. Because then he'll be severely taken to task for that. Allah forbid that zulm hits back in dunya also very often. And what's in the akhirat is far beyond. It's never to be, we should never fall into any deception about that. So, any case, the discussion drifted off. We're talking about something that, about the signs of Qiyamah. So, in this Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam mentioned also, among the signs of Qiyamah, you'll see people who are shepherds, they'll start competing in building high-rise buildings person who was a shepherd, so maybe not the shepherd himself, but perhaps maybe if not that shepherd, then somebody in his progeny. Today, around the world, many people who are building the highest buildings, their grandfathers or great-grandfathers were people tending to their flocks somewhere, some shepherds. But now, this is a sign of the Qiyamah, competing in building higher and taller buildings. People who had no financial position now will be suddenly building tall buildings in competition with one another. A sign of Qiyamah. So, coming back to where we had started off, that there are two, two foundations on which this treatment is built. So the malady, the, all these sicknesses are based on these two issues of the ego and the lust. And the treatment is based on two foundations only. Everything else is then built on that. The two foundations, one is the fear of Allah Ta'ala and having that consciousness of that in the heart that this evil and vice will attract this punishment, this consequence. Because Allah Ta'ala is all-powerful and almighty Allah has complete qudrat over everything. And even in dunya, Allah can bring that azab in one moment. Person is looking at some filth and evil. In that moment, Allah Ta'ala can blind him. He is listening to some evil. Allah can make him deaf in that moment. But it's Allah Ta'ala's grace, Allah Ta'ala's respite. Allah Ta'ala gives ample respite. My servant will make tawbah, he'll come back. So any case, one is this, this consciousness of the fear of Allah Ta'ala, fear of Allah Ta'ala, fear of displeasing Allah Ta'ala. And together with that, on a lower level, 
the fear of the punishment on sin. And the other more important aspect, other foundation is muhabbat, the love of Allah Ta'ala. To the extent that a person has developed the consciousness of the fear of Allah Ta'ala, that consciousness to that extent that becomes a barrier between him and sin, so that will protect him from sin. And to the extent that he has developed the muhabbat and the love of Allah Ta'ala, that will then draw him at a speed. So he's got these two foundations in place, and to the extent that he has strengthened these foundations, now it will be possible to build everything on this. To build the ibadat on it, to build the akhlaq on it, because that poor akhlaq also, the result of it is that either the khawf of Allah Ta'ala is missing, so a person now is just conducting himself anyhow, he's committing zulm, he's just talking anyhow to anybody, he's oppressing and whatnot carries on, because that khawf is missing, and he doesn't have that compassion, doesn't have that feeling, doesn't have that generosity, doesn't have that forgiveness, why? Because the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala is not there. So for Allah Ta'ala's pleasure, he is not prepared, not, cannot do all this. So to the extent that he has developed the fear of Allah Ta'ala in his heart, that becomes a barrier to sin, that will protect him from haram, it will protect him from all the sins. So all these vices will stop. And to the extent that he has developed the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala, that will draw him further and take him far away from all the evils. He wants to adorn his heart now, remove all the sins and vices. So the treatment is based on developing these two aspects. Developing the fear of Allah Ta'ala, the consciousness of punishment for sin. To the extent that a person is conscious of this, and this will come from khawf, from khashiyat, and the muhabbat of Allah Ta'ala, which is the far superior thing, because this will then take a person forward. It will take him along. In fear, he will still have to drag himself to some point. And muhabbat itself will take him along. So now, how to develop this fear and muhabbat? So now, this is still the starting point. This was still only understanding what is the foundations of it. What are the ailments? And where does the remedy lie? Now, what is the process of acquiring that remedy? How does a person now bring this alive, this khashiyat alive, bring this muhabbat alive, that is now the process, that is where it still starts off. So now, this was only the discussion which can be called the introduction. So the cause hasn't even started as yet. That is still another whole chapter. Allah Ta'ala give tawfiq inshallah, on some other occasion we will discuss that as well. But this is, if this much of a realization comes, that there are ailments in me, I am suffering from these severe maladies. This jah and ba are both deep-rooted in me. And I still am far away from having even built anything in terms of this foundation. So I am in a very perilous situation. I am in really dangerous territory. If that much of a realization even comes, that's a big step forward. Because that itself, inshallah, will make a person now want to take the next step of treatment. So if this much also comes in our heart that, yes, this is a problem, I have a problem, and I need to do something about it, that too is Allah Ta'ala's tawfiq. Now the issue is that that tawfiq that came in the sense that there's some 
something stirred in the heart, some realization came, something needs to be done. The issue is to latch onto that. To latch onto that, and where we feel we have that compatibility, we have some familiarity, we have some ease of communication with somebody who can guide us, we need to latch onto that feeling and now take the next step and build that contact. To find somebody to take us along, to guide us, to help us, to treat us. This is the process. That process is by this, like a person for physical ailments, for one small scrape or scratch somewhere, he'll do something himself. Otherwise, he needs to go see a doctor somewhere. So this is the case with physical issues. This is regarding the soul. How much more important and how much more necessary this will be. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Allah ta'ala grant us the true understanding. Allah ta'ala bless us with complete islah and make us those whose hearts are adorned with all the noble qualities and cleansed out of all the evils. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanallah.